I um, always kind of question, you know, you want the sermon the first, especially the Sunday being the, uh, the first day of the new year. And uh, figuring out what to preach and how you may incorporate the new year uh, into uh, make it applicable through the Word of God preached. I remember one year I preached on Matthew 13, which is the parable of the soils, and you and God's Word in the new year. Well, I'm going to preach this morning from the book of Philippians in the third chapter. And basically, think about the importance of considering the resurrection, your resurrection, uh, in the life of every Christian. There's Greg and Julie. And um, so we're going to be reading chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1 and read down through uh, verse 11. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For your sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. I would ask you to pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for your spirit to be with us, to settle upon us, O God, to be with me as I preach this text, to give me clarity of thought, unction of your spirit, to be with the people that are here. We pray that you would take away any unbelief that we might have in our hearts. We pray, O God, that you would take away the distractions of the world, that we might, O God, be focused upon Christ, be alert and listening. And may you bless us for being together this morning and sitting under the preaching of your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the year 2022 is behind us. And as we would say, the year has flown by. My grandmother, I may have told you all this before, I can't remember, but she used to tell me that the older you get, the faster time flies. And I thought that was just silly. Still 12 months in the year, still 356 365 days in the year, however many there are, 60 minutes to an hour, and so forth. 
But I learned as I have gotten over older that uh, she was right. The older you get, it does seem like time passes faster and faster and faster. Well, we are on the precipice of a brand new year, 2023, and awaits us. What does it hold in store for us? I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I can say this, more than likely, given how life is, you'll have some pleasant things happen and some unpleasant things happen. Which would be the greatest? I don't know. Maybe the greater part will be the pleasant things. I don't know which it'll be. But one thing I can say for certain that is in your future, and it's not death, it's not taxes. One thing for certain that is in your future is your own resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul talks about here in this text. He focuses upon those, the reality of the resurrection in chapter 3 and verse 10. Now, why is that? It is because, as he does so, it encourages him to faithfulness in his life as he reflects upon the reality of the resurrection. It also reminds him of the efficacy of the work that Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. And so this morning, as we go through these verses, we should focus as Christians upon the reality of our own resurrection, since that reflection motivates us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are convinced of the reality that you are going to be raised from the dead one day, that you're going to come out of the grave, Chris Turnbow, Chris Turnbow will come out of the grave. It will be Chris Turnbow, but quite different. As Christ came out of the grave, it was Christ Jesus, but he was quite different. He was glorified. So that is awaiting us. Again, it does us well to focus upon that, because as we do, it motivates us to seek to develop a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a question for you. Do you fear death? Are you afraid to die? As you think about it, there was a woman who went to Spurgeon one time and told him that she was terrified of dying. Spurgeon said to her, are you going to die today? She said, no. He said, well, don't worry about it. When the time comes, God will give you the grace that you need to face it. That's true of all of us. Three things this morning to bring to your attention. The first is that our desire for the resurrection encourages us to set proper priorities. Our desire for the resurrection, our own resurrection, encourages us to set proper priorities. The second thing is that our desire for the resurrection encourages us to know Christ more deeply. At least it should. If there's not, then something's wrong with your understanding of the reality of the resurrection to come. And then the desire for the resurrection encourages us to uh, share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this hopefully will come to uh, clarity as I go through the sermon. Well, the first thing then is that our desire for the resurrection encourages us to set proper priorities. The world is filled with things that can potentially call us away from following Christ. We take our eyes off of Jesus. When you're learning how to drive, at least I think this is correct. It's been a long time since I was learning how to drive. But they said to keep your eyes straight ahead on the road. Look straight ahead. Don't look off the side because you tend to swerve toward whatever you're looking at. Is what they told me. You look straight ahead. And if you ever notice this, if you look away for a few seconds, you look back, something can be right in front of you. You're not paying attention to it. Or somebody stops. You're not paying attention to it. Disaster can happen. 
Well, there, the world has so many different things that can call us away from following after and be focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are experiences that are quite pleasant. Happiness. Who doesn't want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. Security. You want the idea that what you have today, you'll have tomorrow. You'll have a place to live and have food to eat and you'll be taken care of. Security. Or popularity. Who does not want to be popular? Nobody wants to be disliked or hated. Most people like to be appreciated, like to be loved. Uh, in most cases, I think everybody would desire that. Well, all of these desires are like it in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with wanting to be happy or successful or secure. Nothing wrong with any of these things, again, in and of themselves. Uh, but the question is, do we ever overvalue these things? We overvalue happiness. We overvalue security. We overvalue success and prosperity. So much so that they become priority in our life. So much so that the things of eternity kind of are put on the back burner of, and they basically become an afterthought to us. And here's something we need to remember. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how far along you are in your sanctification. It is true for all of us. The reality of the distraction of the world. We are not exempt from failing to regard Christ as we should and being distracted by too much affection for the things of the world. You know that. I'm sure that you have experienced that in your life. And in the scriptures, there was this man named Demas who ministered with the Apostle Paul, traveled with the Apostle Paul. And listen to what he did. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Well, this man, again, was a fellow minister with the Apostle Paul, and somehow or another, the world got the better of him. You wouldn't think this would never happen to this man who was traveling with Paul, who was ministering with Paul, preaching perhaps even. And he leaves because of his love for the world. Or again, uh, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, John says to the church, not to pagans, this is to the church, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, and possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. You see, the foolishness of having our hearts set on things of the world. And so John considers that the world itself can anesthetize us against the things of Christ, what it has to offer. Listen to this. We should be so in love with Christ that we desire him more than anything else in the world. And we give ourselves to seeking after him, and we desire and pray that we may know him more deeply and to love him with all of our being. And yet we fail to do that, do we not? We are so easily taken off the road uh, to, uh, uh, to, to obedience and, again, find that we are not waiting on the Lord as we should. And after all the things of the world, instant gratification. We have to wait on God. As it says in the Scriptures, wait upon the Lord. Well, what happens to us when our love for the world overwhelms us? Well, it is uh, dangerous. 
can be damning to our souls if we love the world too much. Let me read this quote to you. People who live for things are never really happy because they must constantly protect their treasures and worry lest they lose their value. So a concern for security can turn into greed. A desire for happiness has the potential of turning into being simply a pleasure seeker and nothing more than that. Live for the sensation of things, for the pleasure of things, and failing to really live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, where then is true happiness found? Where is true joy found according to the scriptures? Well, it's not in the accumulation of things. It's not in gathering things to ourselves, those things that so have our affections. Woody Marker's son, uh, Sam, lives in California. He was in California when they had that fire. He lost everything. He lost his house, everything inside the house. He lost a vehicle, lost a shed, lost his fence. Everything was ashes. So the insurance people called him on the phone and said, Mr. Markert, uh, you need some money. He said, uh, you need to get some clothes. He said, well, I have some clothes. He said, no, you don't. You don't have any clothes. You don't have a house. You don't have anything. All his possessions of the world were gone in a short order. The things of the world are indeed fleeting. They can easily be taken away. So where is true happiness found? And Christ himself said in Matthew six nineteen through 21, Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still and fires burn up and floods take away. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and still for where your treasures, there will your heart be also. And this is the clear teaching throughout Scripture. It's illogical to love the things of the world so much for they are destined to perish. You can't take anything with you. True and abiding happiness comes through a relationship with Christ. True and abiding happiness comes to us in relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul was a man who had strived, striven, who had sought to have life with, uh, with God through the works that he did, through the things that he did. He was a very, very religious man. He knew the Bible very, very well. And he thought by doing things that he would have access to heaven, access to life everlasting, access even to the resurrection. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead. We know that. Well, after Paul comes to a sense of the salvation that he had in Jesus Christ, he said this to himself and to the people that received this letter. It is far better, far superior to have Jesus in my life than all these other things that to me were an advantage. Now I see they are not. And so he goes through the list here. Uh, He has suffered the loss of all things. He counts them as rubbish. Uh, the fact that he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day, all of these things meant a lot to a first century Jew. And he counted on these things prior to his conversion. Am I right with God? Absolutely. Look at what I do. Look at my heritage. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. I persecuted the church even. I have zeal for God. Don't tell me I don't have zeal for God because I do. And then 
he came to Christ. And Paul says, not only do I consider these things rubbish, but they're fit for the dunghill. They're fit for nothing. All of these things that to me were important, all of these things that to me gave a sense of security, mean nothing. And really, he says he's, he has forsaken uh, the, he has, uh, the loss of all things for the sake of knowing Christ. So that anything that would come into his life that in any way would hamper his relationship with Christ, he would deal with it and put it away. I count all things as lost for the pleasure of knowing Christ Jesus. So for Paul, Christ was superior to all the world had to offer. Is it to you? Is knowing Christ and having a relationship with Jesus Christ, everybody here that I know claims to be a Christian. Does your relationship with Jesus Christ mean more to you than anything else in the world? For he calls first place in our lives more than your wife, more than your children, more than your job, more than your possessions. Is Christ first. He's our God. He is our Savior. He demands it. And he's most worthy of it as well. So Christ then, to Paul, meant everything more so than anything else in this world. And then we don't say, we're not to say that we should not enjoy things that God gives to us. We should. And in 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Paul goes on to say over in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. He's not saying that everything's lawful to him. Breaking God's law was not lawful to the apostle Paul. It's not lawful to us either. But whatever is lawful, he said, I will not be mastered by it. So Paul then admits there there's the need for the moderation of keeping things under control in our lives. Again, lest they push Christ to the back burner of our lives. Knowing Christ made everything pale to insignificance in the life of the apostle. Knowing Christ made everything pale to insignificance in the life of the apostle. And he was a man hooked up to the world. Hooked up doing things, committed to service and being right with God by the things he did. But he's converted. He then puts on the spectacles of faith and sees things properly. So Paul's priorities were arranged by, ordered by who Christ was to him. Are yours. The second thing is, attaining to the resurrection encourages us to seek to know Christ more deeply. That's what Paul says, I desire to know Jesus. I desire to know him more tomorrow than I know him today. I desire to experience Christ in my life more tomorrow than I do today. And this knowledge, uh, this uh, desire is not simply a head knowledge sort of thing. This really uh, goes from, it, I mean, it has to pass into the head, right? We have to know about Jesus, have to know doctrine, have to know theology. But what he's talking about here is really experiencing Christ. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, asked the question in the front of the book. If you've never read that, I would encourage you to read it. I'm going to start teaching a Sunday school class either next Sunday or the next, and that's one of the books I've been asked to consider teaching uh, is Knowing God. Um uh, 
We're going to keep having the class in here. Some people don't like going over there. That's fine. But I'd like to have another class for Sunday school. And I want to encourage everybody to come to Sunday school, either here or over in the the, uh, South House. So the desire of the Apostle Paul is to know Christ experientially. Again, what Packer says, the question is not do you know God, but have you known God? Have you experienced God's grace in your life? Have you experienced God in your life? Do you know him personally, that you can interact with Christ on a personal level? That's what the apostle is talking about. Uh, Thomas Matton said this, knowledge begets experience. And the knowledge here is experimental feelings, experimental experience in the relationship with God. That's what he's saying here. I want to know Jesus in my life. I want to know him more and more and more every day to experience him in my life, to know his forgiveness to know his peace, to know his presence. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Not simply knowledge, but rather experience. If you've ever lost somebody that you love, then you know what it is to have that comfort that comes from Christ. You know it. You know it. If you've ever had some heartbreak in your life, then you know what it is to have the peace that Christ gives to us. You understand that. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's talking about here. That I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection more and more and more. Every day that I live. That's his passion. Is that your passion? To know Christ more and more. You say, oh, sure it is. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to say. I'm a Christian. Uh, How often do you read your Bibles? How much... How important is attending worship to you? Is it vital? I will not miss the Lord's Day worship. I will not do it. I don't care what's happening. I'm going to be at worship on the Lord's Day. How often do you come to prayer services on Wednesday nights? You get my point. There are opportunities for you to go to Bible studies, to go to home studies, or whatever the case may happen to be, if you really want to know more of Christ, take advantage of those things. Take advantage of reading the Scriptures. Doctor, someone told me, Neil told me, he's reading Dr. Roberts' book, The Christ of the Covenants, and how enlightening it was to him. Read books like that. His new, The Consummation of the Covenant in Christ, his new books he's working on, Read those. In other words, make valuable to yourselves. Take advantage of the things that are available to you, whereby you can learn more about God, more about Christ, and experience Him more deeply in your life as you learn. Again, knowledge uh, begets uh, experience in the life of any believer. And so he desires to know Him more and more. He wants to know more of His nature. We'll never, I was talking to Charles on the way over here um, in the hall. And we're talking about uh, in eternity, that I think we will go through eternity just marveling at his majesty. We'll never become tired of it. We'll never become exhausted of considering the greatness of our God, the greatness of Christ, his majesty. And that we now at this point in our lives, because of, our limitations, because of our sin, have not begun to grasp the greatness of God, the majesty of Christ. We haven't. We will marvel at it throughout all of eternity. 
So he desires to know more of the nature of Christ, this one who was eternal, who took flesh upon himself uh, to plumb the depths of the nature of Christ. He wants to know more of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus was with the disciples and uh, one of them said, uh, show us the Father. Philip said that. This is John chapter 14, 8 through 11. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. What did Jesus say? Yeah. Yeah. You ask me that. If you see me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Study the life of Christ. Study Jesus' life. If you want to know what God is like, study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know me, uh, you've seen the Father then, he says to this apostle. And so he desired to know more of his nature. He desired to know more of his character. He desired to know more of his salvation. That's why he says here, that he wants to know uh, and reflect upon and experience uh, the idea of the resurrection from the dead, the power of his resurrection. And you know, the power of the resurrection of Christ is cosmic, right? It's cosmic, is it not? And I say that because Paul says in the book of Romans that the entire creation is groaning as a woman in labor waiting for the consummation of the ages. So we learned two things there. We learned in the first place that the fall affected everything. Everything in creation was affected by the fall, not simply here, but throughout the entire creation. It was affected by the fall. And the advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, is going to correct the entirety, correct the entirety of what has happened because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The whole creation groans, Paul says. And so the second coming of Christ will be very effective in, in uh, everything being restored. The last thing is that the uh, attending to the resurrection encourages us to share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The individual who would say this is one who has come to understand the nuances of the, uh, of the sufferings and the work of redemption. Can you understand this? Christ suffered as no one has ever suffered before. How much did he suffer for you? More than anyone else has ever suffered before. I know people that have suffered. You know people that have suffered. I mean, some have suffered severely. The last year of my father's life basically was a whittling down of who he was. Twelve months of... um, being on dialysis, slowly losing weight, organs not functioning as they should, just slowly being, he suffered quite a bit. It caused you to have cramps in your legs. Dialysis is, is really rough on the body. The hematoma dialysis is hard on the body. And there are other people we could look at and talk about how they've suffered as well, but no one ever suffered like Christ suffered. The eternal Son of God who had fellowship with the Father throughout all eternity and took flesh upon himself and was uh, basically uh, chastised, beaten, uh, punished by the Father for your sins. No one ever suffered like the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, will we share in his glory and not share in his sufferings? 
Acts 5, verse 40 through 42, when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The prophets of old suffered for the sake of their ministry and faithfulness. The New Testament saints, as we just read, suffered for the sake of their ministry. And in the New Testament, they look at it as a blessing. We thank God we were able to suffer for the cause of Christ. Philippians 1, uh, 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Would you consider that as something that was a blessing? If they came and took your house away from you because you were a Christian? Remember in, in the book of Hebrews, that was happening to people that were losing their property because they were Christians. If they come in here and they say, you have to preach this part of the Bible, you can't preach that part of the Bible, well, you have to preach what is in the Bible. And they come take you away. Would, would I rejoice in that? That I was able to suffer for the cause of Christ? I pray by God's grace I would. They knew what it meant to serve Christ. They knew the cost of it, and they knew that it was well worthwhile, the cost of serving the Lord at Jesus Christ. Church history. Hugh Latimer and Bishop, uh, Bishop Ridley suffered at the burning at the stake for their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Share in his sufferings, he says here. Madden says this, Surely, Thomas Madden, Surely they that fancy to themselves an easy life, free from all kinds of sufferings and molestations, must seek another leader. You hear what he's saying there? That if you believe as a Christian this nonsense of health, wealth, and prosperity, which experience tells you that's not correct, and the Bible tells you that's not correct. What's Matthew saying there? If as an individual that you fancy that your life is going to be easy, free from all kinds of sufferings and molestations, you need to seek another leader because that's not Christianity. Wherein do we suffer then as believers? Well, for one thing, it is a suffering when we seek to be obedient and face trials and temptations in our lives and struggle against them. Our personal struggles in this life whether it's dealing with temptation, whether it's dealing with sickness, and honoring Christ in the midst of that sickness, in the midst of the trial. To live in such a way as to honor Christ in our attitude and actions. But also, taking a stand for what is right. That is not a popular thing to do today. Christ has no place in the marketplace in our country. Christ has no place in the public square in our country. Christ has no place in the government of our country. He has no place in some churches in our country as well. The church itself turns its back upon Christ to become worldly because it attracts people. And that way you can fill your building up. We should never, ever, as a church, ever, in any way, change the doctrines of grace in order to make ourselves attractive to other people who are outside of the church. Standing up for things that are right is challenging. But we have to. We have to take stands for what is right. 
in the world as described and defined by God. Becoming like him in his death, John Calvin said that means two things. One is the manifestation, uh, the mortification of the flesh and the uh, putting to death of the old man. Becoming like him in his death. I read, and I think this is true, that one of the things this is saying is this. If we are called upon to suffer as Christ suffered, we should do so willingly. Paul says, I desire that. I desire to be so identified with Jesus that people will recognize that and people who are not saved will hate me because they so hate Jesus. What did Christ say? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't expect to be friends with the world. It's not going to happen unless you hide the fact that you're a Christian. You'll be a chameleon Christian. Just fit right in. Go along with the lawlessness that uh, they're talking about, laughing about, all those kinds of things. You can fit right in, but we can't do that and be faithful to uh, the Lord. When Paul says here, I'm about to be finished with it, that he, uh, if by any means possible to attain the resurrection of the dead, is Paul talking about earnings the resurrection? That Jesus did his part. Now, I have to earn or attain the resurrection by the things that I do. Well, you know that's not true. Uh, over in Philippians chapter 1, I love this verse. I preached a sermon on this one verse one time. It's so rich. Uh, Philippians 1 and verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the end. He's not going to quit. That's God at work, including to the resurrection of the dead. And so on and on it goes. He reflects again. For grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. It's not a work salvation. And Paul knows good and well that it is Christ who will bring him up from the dead. But he does this, I think, when he says this. He's going to live his life in such a way that it would depend upon him as if it depended upon him for the resurrection. He's going to keep going after. He's not going to give up hope. He's not going to give up laboring for the cause of the gospel. As it says in the book of Hebrews, you know, again and again, there's a concern as apostasy. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself lest you drift away, lest you fall away. Well, Paul says here that by any means, I'm going to live my life in such a way that it was up to me, if it was up to me for the resurrection to take place, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to strive to be faithful to Christ that I may attain the resurrection. By his grace, Paul will be raised from the dead, but not because of the things he did. But tenacity of faith is very, very important for everybody. It's not enough to start out well and to end up poorly. To circumnavigate the world would be something that would be very impressive to me. I know a man and his wife that bought a sailboat, sailed around the world, came back and got divorced. Bad idea, I guess. But imagine circumnavigating the world back when Paul was on the earth. They didn't have all kinds of stuff today. But a star is very important in navigation of the sea. Is in uh, Ursa Major, that constellation. The Big Dipper handle points to it. It's the North Star. You always know which direction is north. Like Paul, in the chapter that talks about him being on the ship in the storm, 
He said 14 days. They didn't know where they were. They had no moon. They had no sun. They had no stars to guide them. Had no idea where they were until finally they wrecked on uh, Malta. The North Star. Giving us guidance. In our lives as Christians, we have to keep our eyes upon the reality of our own resurrection. The North Star, if you will. Well, why is it good to reflect upon that? You know, for one thing, it is by reflecting upon that that we have comfort. You know, you walk away from a grave of a Christian and you can look at that and even say, I'm looking forward to the day when he's coming out of the grave. And it may be tomorrow. And it may be a week. And it may be years. But the fact is, that body is going to come back to life and come out of the grave. That's the power of God. That's the power of the Lord at Jesus Christ. It gives us comfort as we think about that. And listen to this. And this, I will quit. Paul describes, I mean, uh, John describes it in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen to this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of earth. The firstborn of the dead. Then over in chapter 20. And understand, Christ didn't come and die just so we could go to heaven. He came and died and was resurrected so that we might be raised from the dead. Chapter 20 and verse 11, listen to this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it, who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what they had was written in the book according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible clearly teaches there will be a resurrection for the dead. In the new year, I want to encourage you to reflect upon that. Because that's the end of redemption. That's the consummation of redemption, if you will. When Christ comes back again and the dead are raised. Do you know Jesus? Are you trusting Christ for your salvation this morning? Not believe in a resurrection from the dead? Well, if you're a Christian, pray that God will give you the grace to embrace the reality of the resurrection. Let's pray.